Well, hey, everybody. It's the Week in the Tackle podcast. Tidbits, extra bits, colon, the overflow. I don't know. We've come up with nothing so far. We'll come up with something at some point for this tag-on addendum episode where we play tidbits from Grumpy Pundits on a Friday. Usually me and Brian Dunseth, but he's a very busy and famous man, so he wasn't available this week. So it's tidbits this week with me, Tom Rennie, and our friend Tommy Smith from Grumpy Pundits on Sirius XMFC on Friday. Before we get to that, a couple of bits. Uh, Tim Orsi is with me, our pal Tim, who, of course, is going on another holiday before Monday. Um, Tim, exciting news on Friday. It turns out, after two and a half years of build-up and continual endless conversation about the US men's national team and how they're moving in the right direction, uh, turns out they're shit. So, uh, sorry, Tim. So, <laughs> I just wanted to see what you did. Um, that was pretty appalling against Japan, wasn't it? Good team, Japan, and all that. But, I mean, they played it like a preseason friendly with prearranged subs. They barely had a shot, didn't have a shot on target. We still don't know who the striker is. The best striker wasn't even picked in the squad. Pudasic was injured again because his bones are made of brandy snaps. I mean, it was real bad, buddy. Yeah, Tom. That fing sucked. Sorry, Tom. Sorry, Tom. Sorry, Tom. Why does Danny get it? He's not even here. Well, I just figured that he'll appreciate he'll appreciate that, and we'll see if he actually listens to these when he's not on. I think is is kind of what we have to do here because <laughs> something tells me he just likes the sound of his own voice. Uh, yeah, I mean that was that was terrible. Um, and I think one of the messages that you get across, and both you and I were doing the show. You know, me behind the scenes, you in front of him, obviously, and so we didn't get to keep as close of an eye on this game as most people did. And frankly, I'm super happy about that. I'm happy that I was trying to coordinate a radio show and not having to pay full attention to that debacle in Germany from the US men's national team. The fact that the goalkeeper was the best part of it is never a good sign. And I don't love that there's still a ton of questions about this team and what there's one game to play before the World mm. Cup, Saudi Arabia on Tuesday, and then we're just in it against Gareth Bale and Wales. I mean, this team, sorry, Tom, is f***ed. I, I, I'm pleased that you're doing this because you've got to cut them out. It's not it's not my business to, to find these swearsies. I mean, look, I, I didn't understand it. The, the US have been going in the right direction for a period of time, and I do think that probably seven of that team that played against Japan are going to play in the opening game against Wales and will be in the strongest 11 that Greg Bearholter, the coach, has. However, it wasn't about personnel, I don't think, this game. Um, and we got some great callers on the show. Barbara was terrific, I thought, the, the, mm -hmm. the lady who called in. And uh, Dan, I think, was the coach who called in. They were fantastic because they made some really interesting points. Barbara basically said that this all goes down to Greg Bearholter because of the way they approach this game, which I agree with completely. They basically treated this game like it was a preseason friendly. They treated it like a game. So West Ham have a game every year before the season when they play Dagenham and Redbridge, who are like a, a local side who play in the National League. They have been in that league too at times. But there's a there's a fable, who knows if it's true, that when they played there under the Harry Redknapp um, management era, uh, and again, this is allegedly, so I'm, I'm not saying this happened, so don't sue us, but allegedly West Ham went down there and the Daggers used to give Harry a few quid personal uh in the old sky rocket to play the first team because they'd sell more tickets may not be true it could be an urban legend i don't know if it's true or not it's allegedly 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 but so the legend goes that that uh west ham dagenham and redbridge if you want to see i don't know john monker ian bishop the good players um harry's got a taste so uh, it just it was, it was like that and if you didn't have the strongest team 
then what happened is um, you got like the youth team. You got players that were never going to make it at the top level that were making up the numbers and would soon be loaned to Dagnum and Redbridge, right? And it felt like that sort of game. First game, pre-season, everyone's got a bit fat. Everyone's been down the buffet with Eden Hazard. And, you know, we'll have a little run out. But this was a game against a team ranked similarly in the rankings. I think it's 14 and 20th or 24th, something like that. But similar ranking, similar bracket. And we chatted to Alexi Lalas on, on Thursday's Grumpy Pundits, where we were like, look, he was saying to us, this is the last big chance to play a good opponent. That's why they've picked them. And we thought, OK, great. They're going to go all guns blazing, strongest possible team. Of course, they lost Pulisic before the game because, again, his bones are made of brandy snaps. But they just sort of like had had no plan to win the game. It's like they'd never seen Japan play football before. They had no plan to beat the press. They had no plan to play through midfield. There was no tactical change in the personnel changes that was particularly notable of what you've seen. The whole Jordan Peefock thing, to not pick him in the squad going into it was dumb because all we were going to talk about was Peefock not being in the squad. He's top of the league in the Bundesliga with Union Berlin scoring goals, or Union Berlin, um, with apologies to Derek Ray for ballsing up the initial pronunciation. But thanks, it, it Derek. Just, thanks, Derek. Um, you're too good at your job. Damn it. Um, it, it just... If that was always going to be the conversation, it put too much pressure then on Ferreira, who missed the sitter in the first half. But if Pivot was there sitting on the bench, there's no conversation because he's decided to play someone else. In the end, he made it a thing. And the game was in Germany, where Pivot lives. Like, it just, there were so many missteps going into this game. And frankly, Tim, I mean, you know, you don't know about the World Cup. It, it can all change. Mm-hmm. But that game was a complete waste of time because nothing was learned, nothing was ventured, nothing was gained. And I still, a couple of hours later as we record, don't know what the point of the day was for, for Bearholter. If he comes out and says it was about minutes in the legs, that's pointless because everyone's playing football. So the second thing is what? You tried something? What did you try? He tried nothing. He learned nothing. It seemed like, and you know, he knows more about this sport or he'll, he'll forget more about this sport, excuse me, than I'll ever know. And that's fine. But it just seems like a guy out of his depth and trying to implement a certain way of play that just isn't working for the for this team. And one thing, I, you might have mentioned it there, but one thing that Tommy Smith on Grumpy Pundits picked up today uh, with we had Felipe Cardenas on, all the substitutions were planned. Like, this is, wh- what is the point of that when you're trying to train into being in a game situation, in a high-pressure situation against an opponent, like you said, who is supposed to be very you know, on the same level as the U.S. men's national team. And, and you even said it there earlier at the start of um, the, your soliloquy there. <laughs> this team is this team has been trending upwards. You know, the U.S. men's national team is getting better. They have a lot of young stars. Brendan Aronson at Leeds, Christian Pulisic. Uh, and I think, by the way, you're paid by, what is it? It's not Ginger Snaps. What are they called? Brandy Snaps? Um, Brandy Snaps, yeah. I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure you're paid by Brandy Snaps for the amount of times you've referenced them, both in Grumpy Pundits and Week in the Tackle today. You have Pulisic, you have Matt Matt Turner, who looks like he's the number one now. Tyler Adams also at Leeds. You have solid players in this team. But as a unit, as a team, I don't think they've progressed much from the team that got knocked out of the World Cup qualifying by Trinidad and Tobago. It just I I can't say I've been I've had never been lower, because obviously they're going to the tournament this time, which is an improvement, which is sad. But there is no optimism for me as a U.S. men's national team fan going into a group against England who, you know, it will be hilarious if we beat them 1-0, even if it doesn't mean anything, but it's not going to happen. 
you know, who knows about Iran? There, I, I think it was Taylor Twoman on the broadcast mentioned today. Iran is used to that climate, and they are used to playing in those temperatures at that time. They're, they're, they're from the area where Qatar is. That's not going to be an easy match for the U.S. men's national team. Frankly, the U.S. men's national team shouldn't be underrating ever, anybody at this point in time. And then Wales, the first game against Wales and Gareth Bale, who's going to have something to prove against a lot of U.S. stars that he now goes up with every uh, goes up against, excuse me, every week in Major League Soccer. They're not getting out of the group. They're not. And I, I have no confidence that they are going to at this point in time. Terrific game for Pulisic, who didn't play, for Pifok, who didn't play, for Chris Richards, who didn't play, uh, for Anthony Robinson, um, or everyone who didn't play, basically. And Matt Turner, who led up two goals. And uh, Yeah, and Matt Turner. So Matt Turner, who played, and everyone else who didn't play, come out of it well. Apart from that, no one did. Defensively awful, creatively inept, not a single shot on target in the game, ran around. We put this up on social media. They ran around like my old junior football coach, Terry, used to say, like we were bunching, chasing the ball. Like there was a magnet in the ball and everyone had metal in their boots and was chasing it around. Very, very bad. And to your point before we move on, I think that there was a lot of goodwill towards the US men's team that got evaporated because of that performance. Whatever happens against Saudi Arabia on Tuesday, is it? Tuesday, I think. Tuesday, yeah, Monday, correct. Tuesday. Yeah, it's Tuesday. Um, getting thrown by the time zones. But what, whatever happens there, the goodwill is gone because they're ranked 50th lower in the world. And so you, you should beat them whatever happened. Beat them 6-0, it don't matter. It's like when you beat, you know, Granada or whatever. It doesn't matter, really, right. what happens. So that was the one. All the goodwill has gone from that. There's no competitive big game now until the World Cup, till that Wales game. And... I don't see the benefit of treating it like a preseason friendly. Play your strongest team, learn what you learn. In the end, you kind of learn nothing because that team, it's, it's, it's not going to be like that come the World Cup. So they, they'd have been better off not playing the game and having all the players more rested, giving them all two weeks off, 50 odd days before the game. That would have done all these players and the fans better uh, than playing the game itself. And by the way, brandy snaps are a popular snack or dessert food in the United <laughs> Kingdom. Ireland, Australia, and New Zealand. They're similar to the Italian cannoli. Very oh, similar to a cannoli. So they're often, cannoli. they're often tubular, brittle, sweet, baked casings that are typically about 10 centimetres long and 2 centimetres in diameter. They're predominantly made with butter, brown sugar, golden syrup, and sifted flour with a touch of ginger and lemon zest and brandy, obviously, in the mix. The brandy snack. Tom, I take it back. I need to get back over and hang out with you because that looks incredible. I, I, you know, we didn't have time today while you mentioned it for the eighth time on Grumpy Pundits. So I just assumed a ginger snap in my brain. But now I'm looking oh. at these, pulling up a quick Google search and uh, my God, it's funny. I went over, I went over to London, what, a couple of years ago and saw you and, and did the tour around, went to a Liverpool game or went to two Liverpool games. One had to pretend to be a Chelsea fan. We won't get into that. <laughs> um, and I you, you get this reputation that the Brits have bad food that apparently you guys are supposed to have. It's like the, you know, the, the stereotype, quote unquote, the joke that they make in a lot of American media. I thought the food was incredible. And I'm, I'm a little upset that I never had a brandy snap while I was over there. It was a key component to the second episode of this year's Great British Bake Off that you have as the Great British Baking Show. People Great making show. masks out of brandy snaps. It was dramatic, to say the least. And the thing is about British food is that we do have a couple of staple items being obviously fish and chips and the, mm. and the English breakfast, the two kind of big 
things that we've uh, exported. But mainly, the best thing about British food is the sheer amount of food we've imported, which is French, Italian, uh, you know, all the great mainland European foods, and we've absorbed them into our own. Plus, maybe the only positive of the, <laughs> the, the, the British Empire and, and the terrible things that were done was that we've got a lot of great Indian people in the UK who brought us some brilliant food over yeah. the years. And, you know, chicken tikka masala is our uh, most famous dish because uh, the amount of Indian people and Indian culture we brought to the country. So they gave us great food. So um, it's a myth because we have people that didn't originally uh, be born in this country or weren't originally English that brought us good food. People so that do it for it. you, basically. Yeah. I'm glad you said food. Let's do this. One final bit this week. Thank God. The World Black Pudding Championship. Now, the World Black Pudding Championship happened recently in Ram's Bottom. Real place, Ram's Bottom. Family show. It's a unique competition that will see the War of the Roses rivals reignite as competitors young and old hurl black puddings at a pile of Yorkshire puddings to see how many they can knock down. Tim, do you know what a black pudding is? I do, actually. I, I, oh, what? Well- I believe if I, I have to look it up to confirm, but isn't it part of the English breakfast? Yes. Yeah. The black pudding. It's like a blood sausage, right? Yes. So it is a blood sausage that originates in Ireland, I think. Um, yes, correct. And it basically is the blood of like a, a pig and you mix it with kind of uh, oats and things and it becomes a little blood cake as opposed to a sausage shape. When I used to eat meat, I used to love a black pudding. It would give me I've... immediate painful heartburn, but I love them. I love them. I love them. We have a thing over here too. I don't know if you've heard, and obviously you're you're off the meat, as it were. Um, but scrapple. Have you ever heard of scrapple? Oh no, what is that? So scrapple, I describe it as sort of like a hot dog. Don't ask what's in it. Just enjoy it. Um, mm. It's basically all the pig parts that they don't use in bacon and sausage, what have you. And they, it it looks a lot like black pudding, except usually, you know, from what I've had anyway, it comes in like a square shape, and they basically just. Mash all that stuff together, put a bunch of salt on it, and make it delicious. It, it they they kind of they're a little bit different, and people are gonna get in the comments of this episode about this. But they they kind of remind me of the same type of thing. Where not a lot of people like them, and most people that don't like them have thought about it too much, and not just you know, as I was raised, just eat it. Because if you don't eat this, you're not gonna get anything else, and you might as well enjoy it. So they throw the black pudding into a Yorkshire pudding. Now a Yorkshire pudding is an incredible thing. It's like, uh, well, I'll tell you what it is in a minute, but it goes back to the time of the War of the Roses, which I mentioned, which goes back to the kind of 15th century, which is the Plantagenets who came from um, one part of the country, uh, which is around York and Yorkshire, against the Tudors who came from kind of Lancashire, which is two places kind of in the upper middle of the country. Uh, And they fought over the British crown for years and years and years. It's part of the Hundred Years' War. It's a whole thing. It's an incredible part of how the UK became a feudal system uh, from Edward III and all that sort of stuff. So it's incredibly interesting if you love your British history. Um, You know, we don't learn a lot about it because a lot of it is quite harrowing. But this is quite interesting. Kings and queens we tend to learn about. Uh, Anyway, the Yorkshire pudding is an incredible delicacy, which I make every week. I love these. They're basically uh, flour, eggs, and you can put like beef dripping and stuffing them, but they come out like a beautiful um, savory cakes. You can put like a jam or a curd on, or you can have them with gravy in your Sunday roast. So an incredible thing, but they're like bowls. And so you make this bowl and they stack these bowls up and people from Lancashire and Yorkshire turn up to throw black puddings 
into a pile of Yorkshire puddings uh, that are up on like a big stack at the end of a street. And people turn up in Ramsbottom on a yearly basis in a tradition that goes back to 1455 to throw these black puddings into a Yorkshire pudding. And you should look at look for it online. It was super, super cool. It's underarm lobbing throws of black puddings into Yorkshire puddings. And it happened a couple of weeks ago. And I thought it was real fun. And I thought our listeners would love to know about it. So do you have to, first of all, we record this right around lunchtime. And when we're not doing Week in the Tackle stuff, I usually try and get a quick bite to eat before, you know, post-production and what have you of Grumpy Pundits to take you behind the curtain a little bit. I'm just starving listening to all this and looking at food right now. So do they try and get the black pudding into the hole of the Yorkshire pudding? Yes. yes. Or is it, okay. Because originally it sounded like bowling, like you stacked up a bunch of Yorkshire puddings and you're just throwing it as hard as you can to knock them down. But it's so like you a stack them up and they're yeah, it's almost like a basketball thing or a netball thing. And you lob underarm the black pudding up in the air. Mm. People like dress up in fancy dress and stuff. And if it, it lands inside the kind of puddings, but then you're trying to knock them off and it's how many you can get in and also how many you can knock off. It all goes into some don't worry about the scoring, really, is what I'm saying. It, it doesn't matter a great deal. Um, but it's it just looks super fun, and I really, really want to go. And it comes around every year, and I keep forgetting it's a thing, and I want to go. And I look at it every year, and I think this seems like super, super fun. A tradition that goes back like 800 years, <laughs> which is absolutely amazing. But apparently the Yorkshire pudding is very popular in, like, New York and cool places now, but they sell it as, like, a dessert. And there was a piece in a magazine, you know, one of the fancy mags, and it mm-hmm. was like... Um, this hot new dessert out of the UK. And it's like, it goes back 800 years. <laughs> it's not a hot new dessert. Yeah. Um, it's uh, it's actually a savory thing we have uh, with Sunday roasts. Anyway, there you go. Do you want to introduce tidbits? Oh, do I have to? Yes. So I didn't, I didn't get one uh, today because we were a little short on time. So it's tidbits, tidbits. Here are the tidbits from Friday. Oh, very good. It's time for Tidbits on Grumpy Pundits. Yeah, time for some tidbits to round off our Friday program here. Grumpy Pundit, Sirius XM, FC, Tom Rennie and Tommy Smith with you. A lot later than scheduled because essentially, as John has said to at Sirius XM FC on Twitter, the US basically played like a tidbit this week. So essentially, you've done tidbits already. John, I couldn't agree more with the point that you made. But we've still got some great tidbits for you. Stories we thought were interesting this week, but not strong enough for a full section of the programme. And, uh, well, considering uh, that Japan have just humiliated the United States of America's men's football team, let's start with this lovely little story about a Japan international whose name is Shoya Nakajima, and he plays for Antalyaspor out in Turkey. I love this story immensely because Shoya Nakajima was so proud to have signed for the Turkish side. He was about to make his debut for them last weekend, and he knew he was going to make his debut in that game. So he flew his family from Japan to the, the game in Turkey um, because, of course, he wanted them to be pitch side. He came on from the subs bench in the 59th minute. He came on to replace Hussam Gacha, who plays for Antalya Spor. The other team had the ball. It goes to the right back. The right back knocks the ball down the line. And Nakajima, on debut, 20 seconds into his debut, having flown his family 5,000 miles from Japan to watch the game, 
goes in with a really poorly timed studs up challenge and gets immediately sent off. Now, that's bad. That's bad. But there's drama about the sending off because he got a yellow card initially. But then it got upgraded by VAR to a red card. Whilst it was happening, cameras cut to a a group of Japanese people in the crowd. It's his family. So his family are on national TV in Turkey, having flown 5,000 miles to watch their son and relative's debut. And they're on TV (laughs) watching the VAR overturn the yellow into a red And our friend Jackie Oatley was on commentary and she said such a beautiful, beautiful line, which was, his poor mum, you really have to feel for her. (laughs) 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 Terrific, terrific tidbit. Tommy, what you got for us? Well, I'll tell you one thing. I I finally figured out what's going on with Jack Grealish. Apparently, it's Pep Guardiola that figured it out because he said Jack Grealish must have balls when he's in possession. Oh, did we have to know that, uh, Pep? I mean, and, and it's, it's also a kind of... Uh, Graham Souness has been saying the same thing, but it's, it's strange to find a Scottish player uh, criticising... A former Scottish player, I might add, criticising an English player. He said he's not a great player uh, since joining City, and he thought that he would be quicker and move the ball. So Pep... Pep says he has to have balls, and Graham Souness says he has to move the balls. So, Jack, the ball is up. Speaking of Souness, who's had some tremendous outspoken moments during his first couple of weeks on White and Jordan on Talk Sport, we played his diabolically bad view of the Jared Bowen tackle a couple of weeks ago, but it got us talking. That's the point. Um, he was tweeted by TalkSport's official Twitter page, some of, his, some of his comments on Jack Grealish, and he was asked by Jim White, our friend, um, would you go for a beer with Jack Grealish? And Sooness said, I'd love to, it sounds great. Jack Grealish responded to the video on Twitter personally and said, I'd love to do it, let's do it, as long as I can bring Paul Pogba as a plus one. Which I thought was very, very good uh, from Jack Grealish, who's a character. Bit part player at Man City, but certainly a character. Um, One final tidbit from me for this week. And I just wanted to bring it to you because I feel like I'm being personally trolled by Everton. You can sponsor anything these days, right? You can sponsor anything. Edward Woodward, 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 Wood at Manchester United is a tremendous example of how anything can be sponsored. You can be sponsored by potato chips, irons multinational corporations, projector companies, as Man United currently are. Uh, Well, Everton Football Club, who beat West Ham last week, despite being utterly woeful, deserved to lose, got Frank Bleed Lampard as manager and had two shots, but they beat West Ham. Well, two days later, Everton Football Club officially unveil their official hair transplant partner. Now, are they just trolling me now? Is that what this is? Everton Football Club just exists to wind me up. Um, They are officially partnering with a Turkish-based organisation, Vera Clinic. Everyone goes to Turkey for the transplant. Lots of people do. If you ever go to to Turkey, the north of Turkey, and go to the airport, it's all men in, like, hairnets where they've had the the back hair transplanted to the front. I haven't got enough donor hair. Um, but on social media, they say, we welcome our first official hair transplant partner to the Everton family. For over six years, <laughs> says an Everton fan in reply, I've been running a parody football club account. Most of the best gags I've had 
uh, about humiliating shirt sponsors and official partners. Not once in those approximately 2,300 days did I dream up anything as perfect as this. I'm completely in awe. It's absolutely incredible. Do I get a free Everton shirt or hair transplant because I am a slaphead? (laughs) Which I thought was very, very good. A response directly underneath it. A third Twitter responder, which I liked, said... Does that mean that every Everton shirt now comes with Thomas Graveson on the back? Retro reference, but I loved it. Uh, Tommy, give us another one. Yeah, I'm Chelsea, a Chelsea one. Kovacic, so, you know, he's a brilliant person because he's absolutely a superstar in Dinamo where he started out. So they were playing Chelsea, and after the game, he gave all of his Chelsea gear to the staff at the stadium. What he forgot oh. was that he needed to leave the stadium and now he had no clothes. All he was left was with a pair of underpants and flip-flops. And he had to leave the stadium in flip-flops <laughs> and underpants. Now, that is absolutely true because it came from our friend Nizar Kinsella. And one of the responses from some young lady on Twitter was, Now, oh. that is something I would love to have seen. <laughs> <laughs> Week in the Tackle is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts.